What's up, YouTube? I'm Robert, and this is the Biker Channel B1. Welcome to the 29th episode of the Biker Bar. Today, we are going to be talking about hardtails, hence the name, Hardtail Party. But before we get started, there's a few things I want to chat with you guys about. The first thing is... <clears throat> Those of you guys that aren't familiar with the format, this is a long format kind of interview style podcast live stream. So you can check this out here live on YouTube. You can watch it later on YouTube if you want to, or you can tune into your favorite podcast app on like iTunes or Google Play or SoundCloud and listen to the podcast after the fact. Usually it takes me about a day to get that up. You'll get a notification if you're following that or subscribe to it or whatever they call it in podcast land. Outside of that, please remember if you guys throw up the super chat, I love the super chat. It helps me a lot, dude. It's definitely like I, I am, I'm, I'm needing the extra funds to keep that beer fridge over there full because that thing is is actually rather large. It, it's it, it takes a bit of funds to get that thing full. So I appreciate all the super chats. I don't always get a chance to like call people out or or say something about it, but I try to in the chat if I can. But at the end of the day, like please. I, I definitely appreciate it, and and I, I really, really, um, I, I'm very thankful for you guys to, to be supporting me. If you want to support me in a in a little bit more way than that, please swing by my Patreon at patreon.biker.com. That's a good way as well. There's a buck a month club gets you access to uh, coupons that I work out with with some of the vendors that I have on the show, as well as there is a happy hour crew and if you join the happy hour crew you get a sticker pack and you get also access to extra content so what i'm i started doing since my pov videos are taking a little bit of a back seat right now because i switched some stuff at work and that's keeping me super busy so if you um if so i used to have some some early release videos and stuff like that with the pov which i'll continue to do those are probably only going to be about once a month now but I'm also uh, cooking up some some extra content through the, the biker bar as well. So you'll you'll be getting access to that as well as some Patreon only live streams. You guys like my my live streams where it's just hanging out in the garage, talking, talking shop, drinking beers. So those are those are going up there as well. I will still do the the, the, the regular, you know, live streams here and there. But um, I think I'm going to focus those more more on Patreon. So if you guys can can support me, that'd be awesome. I really, really appreciate all of all of the support from all of you. Another way, if you don't want to spend any money at all and you want to support me, if you go to Amazon.biker.com, so Amazon.b1ker.com, that brings you to my Amazon affiliates page. If you bookmark that on your browser instead of instead of uh, setting Amazon.com as your browser. When you get there, no matter what you like, you go up to the search bar, search whatever you're going to search for on Amazon, whatever you buy in that trip, whether it's like toilet paper or um, anything, you know, you, you want to buy a new widget or a ladder or whatever, all of that would give me some credit and I get a little change and that helps fill the beer fridge and, and it doesn't cost you anything. So just do that, set that to your, your homepage and, and, and then, then there you go. So Today, this is kind of an exciting thing for me. A friend of mine that that you guys know from from another channel has decided to start a new venture, and his new venture is going to be talking about hardtails and hardtails only on his channel. Maybe every once in a while they'll slip in a full suspension that's locked out or something like that. But you guys may 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 recognize him as soon as he starts talking. He he's been here recently, so I'll let him introduce himself and what he plans on doing with the channel. Go ahead and give your introduction. 
Hey, Robert. Thanks for having me. I'm Steve uh, from other YouTube channels. You might know me from um, The More We Explore and My Wife Runs Dusty Betty. So we were on here not too long ago, but I'm glad to be back to announce my new channel, Hardtail Party. And uh, yeah, I'm super excited. And the whole channel is about having fun on a hardtail and kind of, I, I don't know, I've been riding with a lot of people lately that are all about, we'll go on a group ride and then we'll start going and then everyone just disappears and they're all trying to race to the end. And I realized, you know, that that's not me and um, I'm not here to race. <laughs> I've got work. I've got stress in life. I'm here to have fun. And so hardtail party is all about bringing the fun back to the riding and stop counting calories and grams and who's the king of the mountain and, you know, leaving people in the dust and just having fun, man. That's what it's all about. So, so, I mean, there, there's 50% fun in, in hardtail and 50% pain. So <laughs> it's almost like an oxymoron, but no. So I, um, I, as th those of you that follow the channel, or maybe if you're new, I, I recently bought a, Santa Cruz chameleon hardtail. I've not been on a hardtail since the nineties. And I will tell you hands down, like right out the gate, I've been blown away how much fun this freaking bike is. Like it, it is not what I expected. Like I really wanted to buy a bike simply to kind of like make some of my more tame trails a little more difficult a and then B, just to like do something different. I thought it would be good, really good content for the channel as well, because a lot of guys start out and a lot of guys start out on a hardtail because, you know, the, the price to get into a full suspension bike is pretty high. I would say that hardtails are cheap, except for Santa Cruz Chameleon just released in carbon. And I think the bottom line build is like four grand. So <laughs> they do make them expensive. Yeah. But but there is there's a low entry on a hardtail i i think you know and it's also i think the thing that's good about it is that that you take out that rear suspension and there is a little bit of simplicity totally. what is it that um really drives you to the hardtail steve because you've been riding for a long time you got a full suspension rig yeah i've been riding for 20 years i started out on a hardtail because full suspensions didn't really exist in the early 90s uh, I mean, you saw the occasional Cannondale or like the Outland. I remember I wanted those, one of those so bad. And the Santa Cruz Heckler and the Tasman came along. And But yeah, I, I could never afford them. But I, I come from a BMX background and uh, I ride the trail differently when I'm on a hardtail. And like you said, it, it wakes up uh, boring trails and... My wife and I travel the U.S. full time and we're always in a new area. And as much as I want to ride uh, black diamonds and double black diamonds all the time on my full suspension, and I do have a full suspension. I've got an enduro bike that I love, um, but that's not what the channel's about, but I'm still going to keep riding it. But, but as much as I'd love to ride double blacks and blacks all the time, that's like 5% of the trails in the nation. Yeah, and there are some states that don't have black diamonds or what they call black diamonds should probably be blue or greens compared to yeah. other places. It's black diamond to their area. Yeah, okay, <laughs> I get that. I get that. But like, I love hardtails like you ride them differently. You pump the terrain. You um, it's a full body experience and hardtails aren't for everybody. And 
uh, full suspensions are great. You can find some cheap full suspension these days, but my philosophy is it's better to have a good hardtail than a bad full suspension. Yeah, I think, I mean, at the end of the day, as far as I'm concerned, like any bike that gets you on the trail is the right bike. Yeah. And um, however, I think the thing that I want to like promote the most to people, and I wouldn't have been able to say this a couple months ago before I had my hardtail is like, go get anything, A, but don't look at a hardtail as that that's like a compromise. Because it's really not a, it's going to like, honestly, if you're going to start on a hardtail, you're going to get way better bike handling skills. You're going to learn how to drop your heels better. You're there's a lot of pluses. The downside is, I mean, your body's going to take a little bit of a beating for it. You know? Yeah. They're getting better, especially plus hardtails. So like my ideal hardtail is a 27.5 plus hardtail. Uh, that you can run like a cush core in it or a little bit softer pressure. And um, the chameleon's great because even though it's aluminum, I've got a chameleon too for another week until I get another bike, but I've loved my chameleon, but it's, even though it's aluminum, it doesn't beat you up like the hardtails of the nineties do. Oh and yeah. No, it's, it's, it's light and totally like, light years different. Yeah. And that, are you running 29s or, or plus tires? I, I have 29 right now. The goal is I, um, I have a, 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 a something coming up with some, some people that I'm working with to cool. get some 27, five plus wheels built. Great. And I'm, I'm planning on doing exactly what you just said there. I, I think the 27, five plus with the cush core in it, because those, those plus tires, when they're aired down and especially like I'm a big dude, like they get a little squirrely. So I feel like that cush core will make a huge difference. And yeah. even if I wasn't a big dude, like after talking to them and like, like I drank the Kool-Aid of what they said, like it, everything that they say about what their product does makes sense. Like, don't think of it as a, a, like, just like a, a rim saver, you know, like it, it right. it's, a, it's a suspension platform and yeah. we'll leave that at that. If you want to hear more about it, go check out that. Maybe we'll talk about it. I don't know, but there, there was a, uh, I did do a, a podcast with them a few weeks ago, but, um, I think with that 27, five plus wheel, the cush core in there, and then I'm going to swap my fork out to be a 140, and yeah. that'll, that'll slacken the head tube just a little bit more, which, which I'll be stoked about. Yeah. But, um, I think at that point, man, it's going to be really hard for me not to grab my hardtail on most of my rides. Yeah. And, and, you know, so many people are jumping into mountain biking and there's so many options now. And if you're going to take it seriously, you know, a full suspension might be the best bike to learn on these days for a lot of people. And so I'm not here to like preach that everyone should have a hard tail and that we're better than people with full suspension or anything. It's not. Um, but when you ride only a full suspension and then you switch on a hard tail, you realize how lazy full suspension makes you, how you can just plow right down the trail, not pick a line, just let off the brakes and the bike will do everything for you. And that's okay. I do that on my full suspension too. But then when I hop on the hardtail, it's a totally different experience. I'm looking for lines. I'm pumping things. When I bunny hop, it's direct to the ground and I can clear way bigger stuff than I can on my full suspension. It's I had to experience. I had to like relearn how to bunny hop. Like, I, I mean, I used to be able to bunny hop like pretty damn good on my BMX and back in the day. And I've been riding with clips and, and full suspension for so long that it's like you like kind of like prime the suspension and and just um, I 
I didn't realize that I taught myself a bunch of bad habits. Sure. I didn't realize that I wasn't dropping my heels. Like the first time that I got on my chameleon and tried to jump off of like a little like three inch rock and my, and my, both my feet came off the pedals and I freaking like just full, like send it like right yeah. into the top tube with my groin that, um, <laughs> that, that was definitely a career defining moment where I was like, okay, <laughs> I, uh, I apparently have forgotten some things. Well, that's a great point because I, I think people are going to see the channel and see how much fun we have on hardtails and see the crazy stuff we're riding and say, I'm going to go buy a hardtail. A, it's going to make me ride like that. Or B, I'm going to have all this fun. And with and right off the bat, like don't judge your first hardtail experience by your first ride because it does take some getting used to. I think for me, um, it was just like I came to that kind of realization of what you were talking about a minute ago about how many trails don't really need like a full, full like suspension bike. I'm, I'm going to say this right now, just to be clear with everybody. If you only have like the money or the, the room for like one bike, like get a full suspension bike. You, you know what I mean? Like if, if, that's going to be like your single stable and like sometimes you're going to ride some big stuff and sometimes you're not like, yeah, go for the full suspension bike. If you can't afford that or um, maybe most of what you're going to ride in your area is doesn't really need that, then go the hardtail route. Like you can pick up rental in a lot of places for a lot less than like, think about it. If you spent like 1500 bucks on a hardtail, versus five grand on a really nice suspend full suspension there's a lot of rental fees in there you know oh, like, man, a lot of gas yeah you know? road trip yeah because i think you know as far as full suspension goes i used to always tell people like when they were getting into it i'd be like oh get on craigslist and spend like a grand at least on a full suspension you can get a decent full suspension for like thousand bucks so to me it was like never really made sense like to like go spend like 800 bucks on a hardtail. But I was like indoctrinated into sure. most of what I ride <coughs> out here in the summertime is, is pretty gnarly. I mean, like, you know how Tahoe is like, it's, there's some yeah. big stuff up there, you know? So for me, it's like, I'm not just going down to the local, like, like Granite Bay kind of ride, which you've done. And it's just like super XC, you know, ride. like yeah. that's, I don't do that all the time. So sure. I think my, my, my advice to people was a little biased because of that, you know, but yeah. honestly, if you're buying a brand new heart or a brand new full suspension, I feel like the, the baseline on what you should think about on a full suspension, bike is probably three grand. Oh, at least. Yeah. You know, like to, to get a decent frame or a decent like component set, like you can get them cheaper than that. Don't get me wrong. But like, I feel like that's like kind of like the entry point on full suspension, unless you're getting used. Yeah, I'm totally with you. There's definitely, there's like this stigma out there that you're a second class citizen if you're on a hardtail for some reason. And that's kind of another thing I want to change on this channel as well. Like I was watching Nate Hill's stuff from Sedona where they're doing insane stuff. And one of the comments is, I only have a, a, a hardtail. And first of all, that makes me sad when people say I only have a hard deal. You got a mountain bike and they can do amazing things. It's all in the pilot there. I mean, we've seen riders who are on garbage bikes 
riding like a pro outriding us no matter what we're on and that's super inspiring i I have those friends on the freaking like (laughs) the hardtail single speed that you're just like they're you're like i have a six inch bike and you're freaking just like you're on my ass or or pulling away from me you know totally i love it it's inspiring yeah no it definitely is definitely definitely is i think that one of the things that my chameleon's done for me is so the bike that i had before the bronson was a 140 millimeter full suspension bike and when i bought that bike i think it was 2006 at the time like that was like a really like a lot of suspension and a lot of yep. people were like you're freaking crazy why are you doing i mean that's almost a down that's like a downhill bike you know yeah. and I, it's so funny because that's like like not even considered like enduro what most people are buying now yeah but because of that so 140 millimeter fork for a long time got the bronson that's a 160 millimeter fork when i started riding the chameleon it has 120 millimeters that's coming stock on this 29er yeah and i was scared to like go over certain rocks you know like my yeah. first ride i remember being at granite bay one of my subscribers was standing there at the corner because i i've, I've talked to the dude and uh i, I like brake checked on top of a little like six inch <laughs> rock because i was like i don't even know i don't I mean, yeah. it's just like is this gonna like stuff it like I, yeah and, and now i'm like really realizing like dude i rode rockville today so those of you guys that aren't from the area rockville is is appropriately named it's very rocky lots of tech tech stuff there um and i wanted to take that bike there today just to kind of like build a little bit of confidence of knowing how how well this thing can do and there was one there's one spot that's like even really hard on my 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 bronson that obviously I ended up walking through. And there was one other spot in the ride, in the middle of the ride where I started taking like my Bronson line and like realized as I was like dropping into it, I was like, (laughs) this is not gonna work out well. But for the most, like the rest of the ride, I was still taking most of the same lines and I only have 120 millimeters of suspension. Yeah. And aside from like, you know, riding a little different as far as the rear ends concerned, yeah, that 120 millimeters of suspension, like that's a lot of suspension, apparently. <laughs> and you know what people forget is you've got these arms that have 800 millimeters of suspension yeah, and right. have 800 millimeters of suspension. And if you learn to use your human suspension instead of just kind of hanging on and, and transferring it all through your pedals and through your wheels, man, that's when it just comes alive when you unweight the bike and then you weight it and. Uh, it's more work and it's more tiring, but man, you can get through some crazy stuff on a hardtail. It's pretty awesome. I'll say this about a hardtail, and and this is the one thing: no matter what hardtail you buy, have it in your budget. And this, and please argue with me if you think I'm wrong, Steve. Wherever your budget is, make sure that like part of that budget is a dropper, and a dropper that you can have dropped as low as possible for your frame like try to ride one of these things with the with with your seat locked into a yeah. position you're screwed but like i have a 170 millimeter um dropper on on my my uh, chameleon i'm tall so yeah. i'm i'm six two so that i mean that won't work for everybody um but no matter what you like hands down 
if you're getting a hardtail, you have to have a dropper. I'd rather, I couldn't agree more. I'd rather have a fully rigid bike with a dropper than a hardtail with front suspension and no dropper. In fact, we call them riser posts in my neck of the woods because they're usually down. And then you just rise them when you need to climb. And then it's down, <laughs> almost always down. So yeah, get a riser post on your bike if you don't have one yet. Yeah, def definitely. Um, do you have any particular brands that you that you really like using as far as droppers go? Yeah, I'm in love with the Bike Yoke Revive. It's so smooth and it has a self-bleeding valve thing on the top Ceram Where, who is that company i've never even heard of them dude it's killer you got to check them out they're not cheap as all things good but uh yeah check them out bike yoke revive and it's called a revive because if you start to get a little bit of play in it you can release the uh you can let the air out when it gets into the fluid chamber and bleed it on the bike in five seconds and it's back to working 100 percent again and just got an awesome feel they have a great lever it's hands down my favorite lever or my favorite oh. uh, dropper riser i had a I, I'm, I don't have a whole lot of dropper experience i can tell you that um but my reverb that i had before god dude i'm never gonna get any kind of deal with ceram because all i do is talk <laughs> shit about their stuff all the time but my reverb really like um it just it worked good most of the time but when it stopped working it just stopped so it was like i'd be riding somewhere and i didn't realize it was going to be that cold and then it'd freeze and like yeah. you don't know if it's frozen until you drop it and it doesn't <laughs> come back up right totally. so like like you, you go into that first descent, you drop that thing, you're just cooking, you're having a good time, and then you go to hit the button, and you're like, oh, you got to be fucking kidding me. Yeah. Yeah, I had a reverb for two years, and at the end, it started to develop about a centimeter of play in it. I had had good luck. I didn't hate it, but I definitely prefer the bike yoke, that's for sure. Yeah, so I've gotten a couple sent from PNW to me, and um, so far, I've been super happy with them. I mean, right. I, obviously, I mean, I, I didn't pay for them. I, mm -hmm. I will will say that for sure. But um, I haven't had any problems. So, and them being a, a, a budget level um, dropper, I think if anybody out there is thinking about picking one up, I, I definitely endorse it, you know. I agree. I'll say a 500 dropper is not twice as good as a $150 dropper. So get what you can afford. Yeah, and, uh, just have a dropper. It's so important. You got to to use that that four hundred or eight hundred millimeters of human suspension. You you lose all that human suspension when your seat's totally high. Yeah, and no, Nino can do whips and tables, high posts and everything, but <laughs> he's inhuman. So uh, the rest of us that don't ride XC with a a dropper post all the way up at an elite level, a dropper post will give you so much confidence. It uh, it it it. It's, I think it's the best invention to mountain bikes ever. It's funny because I was one of those guys that didn't want to adopt it. I don't, I mean, you've been riding as long as I have. Yeah. Did you go in right away? Were you, were, did you buy, like try it right out the gate? Instantly. Cause I'm so short. I just oh, feel like, yeah. like I could hardly straddle the top tube on 90% of the bikes I've owned. I couldn't like touch my toes to the ground, let alone flat foot. And so being able and coming from a BMX and dirt jump background, like I would actually have two seat posts. I'd have one that's about two inches long with the seat on it that I just put on when I'm going to pump tracks or BMX tracks or goofing around or doing a shuttle run. And then I had my regular one that I'd raise up and down with the quick release. So yeah, as soon as those came out, I'm like, 
I need that. And it made a big difference for me. For, for me, it was a money thing. You know, it was like, yeah, it was like 500 bucks, man, for this part. And, and I'd been riding bikes for, you know, 20 years or whatever, 15 years or something. I don't know, a long time at that point. And it was just like, dude, I never need a dropper. I forget yeah. this ride. This is how I ride, sure. you know? And, um, you know, it was, it, I am one of those people that's on the cusp of, of frame sizes. So yeah. like the, the BMX, the, the young Robert, like the BMX and him always wants to like kind of get a smaller frame cause it just throws around well. Yeah. And then the, like the guy that's like questioning his purpose <laughs> or his purchase, yeah. sure. like, you know, that's the guy yeah. that's always like, maybe I should have got the XL. Yeah. So with my, with my profit, that was the, the bike I used to have before the Bronson. <clears throat> I used to always question like, what? maybe I should have got an XL. So like somewhere along the line, I ended up buying like a, a used profit that was like, I, you could pick them up for like 600, 500, 300 yeah. bucks if you could really like do a good negotiation. So like I had bought another one and the one that I bought off this dude for like 500 bucks had a dropper on it. And that yeah. was the first time I ever had a dropper. It was, and it was only like a, like a 125 millimeter drop. Yep. And it just blew my mind how different it was. Like yeah. I actually had to learn how to ride different. Cause I used to like, like kind of squeeze my seat with my yeah. eyes yeah. And, and like, you know, there'd be certain parts where like, I'd start to feel like my, maybe my seat post was sagging a little bit through the day. And I, Oh, I'd, I'd let it be a little bit lower because I knew this downhill section was coming before I was going to raise it up again. And, yeah. and, um, but the biggest thing was, that like getting used to not pinching the seat with your thighs. Totally. It's like a third point of contact for some people. Yeah. Yeah. I, and it was like, I was at a clinic yesterday. What my wife was doing a clinic with the drew brothers, a really cool clinic. And there was a dude there, super nice guy who didn't have a dropper and his riding style. You could see relied on that seat as being a third point of contact on yeah. turns or jumps or drops. And so one of the, I think, uh, Rob let him use his bike, which had a dropper and he forced him to leave the seat down the whole time. And it probably took him an hour to, and I've seen it all the time. People just feel disconnected from the yeah. bike without that saddle pressure on their legs. Oh, completely. I, I would say it probably took me five to 10 rides yeah. to even get used to, I would be putting the seat down probably only half of that 125 millimeters and feeling like I was lost. Yeah. And then as I got used to it, then it was like, oh, wow, this is so awesome because you can like drop it over this little rock and then pop it back up over that little climbing, like technical yeah. climbing section and then back down and back. Like my seat is going up and down like consistent, like all the time now, Dang. you know, but at that time it was like, it was so weird. And now, I mean, it's, it's just funny because it's like I have a 170 millimeter dropper. And if those, if the insertion link wasn't, like longer on i'd go 200 like sure. i honestly i've joked about like you got we're, i'm an old dude most of my freaking demographics old dudes so like we all remember inspector jet gadget and he would just like, like yeah. things would like pop out and fold up or whatever out yeah. of his hat you know like i wish i could push a button in my seat just fucking like zipped up and went down into the tube. you know dude that's the next thing they're gonna someone's gonna figure out how to make a dropper drop on its own and those will sell like hot cakes oh on its own I think that's the next dropper technology is someone's going to figure one out that on a button, it goes up and on a button, it goes down. So you don't have to put your weight on it to drop it. 
Oh, I see what you're saying. I thought you were going to say like an accelerometer kind of thing where it like oh. just notices it and then like drops it on its own. Wasn't it BMC that made a dropper that worked with the suspension? So it was like on climb mode on your compression when the seat was up and then when the seat was middle, it was on trail mode. And then when the dropper was all the way down, it would open the suspension to full open. Oh, that's that neat. Yeah. Oh, that's a really good idea. Yeah, there was another like company control, but of my yeah. settings, but it makes sense for a lot of people to just want to not worry about it. Yeah, well, the way that most full suspension bikes are nowadays, like, honestly, you can leave them just full open and you're going to be I fine the whole so. time. Yeah, totally. That's how I ride them. The The only time I put my my Bronson into like, quote unquote, climb mode is like when I'm like, yeah, I know this is like a three mile grinder. I'm just going to be sure. sitting here pedaling. So I'll do that. Yeah. Otherwise, I kind of just forget about it and open. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Hardtails have come a long way. And uh, I I had a really fun hardtail in 2000. I think I'd still have fun on it today. But, man, I, I love where hardtails are today. And let's talk tires a little bit for pluses because plus tire. I think the, the plus bikes get a really bad rap. I like plus full suspensions, too. And. I know that that kind of has a stigma that I must be a pretty crappy rider if I, if I, I don't know. That. As a big guy, the first time I rode a plus bike and it was a full suspension, the first time I did it, it blew my freaking mind. I was like, this must be what it feels like to be like 160 pounds yeah. on the tires that I ride when they're like, oh, these tires just grip the shit out of everything. Yeah. You know, because I was like on this plus bike, had like low profile knobs and I was just feeling like I could ride up a wall. Yeah. And I was like, this is insane. And that's yeah. that's one of the things that drew me to the chameleon was because <laughs> I could throw those plus tires on there. And I'm like, dude, this thing just the traction on it. If you're a big dude, get on a freaking plus bike and yeah, and try. try it. It'll blow your mind, man. Especially so I, now, because they came like when plus first came out, they didn't have many tires to choose from. And they were like XC tires because they thought, you know it's going to be so wide. We don't need big meaty tread and they're already going to be heavy. So we're going to put these light sidewalls on them and they were flexy. Yeah. But when you run something like a DHR or a DHF or a high roller on there with a true sidewall, man, I do not get that tire squirm they're talking about. And well, and see that I always feel that too. And that was one of the reasons, and, and maybe I haven't ridden a plus size bike with those type of tires on it yet. And that's one of the reasons that I was like, like to my, in my, that I was like, oh, it has to be Kushcore because that'll solve yeah. that problem as much as it can, you know? It will. Kushcore will be huge. Having a wide rim helps too, but having that, that thick casing really helps. But it took Maxis like a year to make those. So when plus bikes were all the rage three years ago, they didn't have proper tires and everyone was saying, you know, these are great for beginners, but if you're a hard rider, you're not going to like the vague feel that they have. So but, uh, what, I think that's just for, they had bad tires. So for people that don't know plus, what is like I think there's like a little bit of gray area. What is considered yeah, plus? Is it two six? Is it two eight? What is plus? Depends on who you talk to. And we're talking inches, the width of the widest part of the tire. So like back in the 90s, we were all running Panaracer XC, Fire XC, red and black tires, and they'd go to 1.95 inches wide. And we thought uh, that was amazing. You remember yeah. those? Uh, I was gonna, I was gonna say 195. Just wanted to cut you off so that <laughs> totally you would did. know that I remembered. You know, and then we got the 2.1s, and we were so stoked up front. 
when I bought, when I, when I was riding that profit, I, I start, cause I was, I'm always a big guy. Like even at my thinnest, I'm sure. still over 200 pounds. Like, and I, and I, if I get any thinner than that, I start looking like a, like an Ethiopian or something, you know <laughs> what I mean? So like, I'm, I'm just a big dude. I mean, you've met me. So like I was running like two, three fives and people were like, what the hell? That's like a motorcycle tire, you know, back when people were running two ones and I was yeah. like, so like. Uh, it's funny to think about the size one nine five. Like if I put yeah, one of those next I to know. like my two six that I have right now with yeah. a wide rim, it looks like a freaking road bike wheel. It's true. It's true. So yeah. So tires keep getting wider and wider. And what they do is they offer a little bit more cushion, which I think personally, that's the biggest benefit of plus tires, especially on a hardtail where that, that, each impact is being transferred through the tire to the wheel to the frame to your cranks where your where your feet are holding holding on and man i remember in the 90s i'd i do this run where i'd climb for two hours with my seat up get to the top drop it turn around and go back down the same one and be down in like 25 minutes and at the end my wrists hurt my eyeballs hurt i just felt like i'm <laughs> I remember my eyes hurting. Like, I'm like, man, I feel like my eyes were shook out of my head. And we didn't have tubeless tires either. So I was probably running slime in my tires and had these super heavy tires. And they're probably pumped up to 35 PSI. And uh, it just, and I remember I had a RockShox Mag 21. Sorry for all the nostalgic talk for those of you that are new to mountain biking. This is so fun to talk with someone who's been around. <laughs> but, uh, I had this little mag 21 air shock that probably had 80 millimeters of travel and probably had 25 millimeters of usable travel. And man, that thing, I just, I just felt in pain at, a, as a 14 year old at the bottom of the hill. And I don't feel that now, even hitting bigger, harder stuff faster now, thanks to plus tires, thanks to a little bit more compliance suspend, uh, uh, suspensions not suspensions but su suspensions up front but also the rear triangles are bent to flex a little bit more so they don't just transfer every harsh jolt right to your body oh we so, gotta talk uh, plus tires still but go ahead oh no but let's let's stay on tires i'm gonna i'm gonna change your subject later so let let's all right cool. let's stick on tires now i definitely want to get to talking about geometry with you but yes, um so with the tires what do, do you still go like pretty like meaty? Cause you, I mean, you've been running, you, you run plus on your chameleon, right? Yeah. And I run two six on my enduro bike on a 36 mil internal rim. And I love that personally. So what are you riding on the chameleon then? I'm running three O's. What made you go that big? Uh, my are they three O like with a, like a big, like mud, like dirt bike, freaking kind of tread on it. Or is it more of the, yeah. like kind of the, the slim down kind of three O. Yeah, so I have a high roller two up front, so it's a big chunky downhill tire, and then in the back I'm running the specialized ground control, I think, which is kind of medium sized knobs, but it's the super thick casing. My mm -hmm. my chameleon I use for everything. It's my loner bike when we want to ride with friends that don't have a bike. It's my dirt jump bike. It's my pump track bike. It's my bike packing bike. We've taken that on 150 mile bike tours over four days. And so it's kind of got to do a little bit of everything. And since I like plus tires anyway, like if it was just a trail bike, I'd either run three O's or 2.8 minions on it. And that'd probably be perfect for all my trails. And a minion but, isn't a super aggressive tire either. 
it's pretty aggressive. It's their downhill one. It is okay. And then I'm I'm remembering. So like I'm, a minion DHF or a DHR two. Is, is uh, there like two versions of the minion? Isn't there like a minion SS or something like yeah, that? Yeah, so SS has it's for speed. It's got the super small knobs. That's in the, the one I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah okay. but they have the aggressive cornering knobs. Um, so yeah, I mean, th- that bike has to do a little bit of everything. And I think that's what I love about hardtails is you can throw them into any situation and sure. And you know what? This happens to full suspension too. You ride a trail and you think, Oh, if only I had 20 more millimeters of travel or it was a little slacker, that'd be perfect for this trail. Then you go ride another trail and it's like, Oh, if only it was a little bit lighter, I could, you know, carry my speed a little better. Then you ride a different trail and you think, man, I should have brought the hardtail. And there's no perfect bike for every single trail, but man, those hardtails are sure adaptable and they can, they can handle anything you throw at them and they're better at some things and worse at other things. So what do you think? Um, I, I mentioned earlier that the, and somebody also in the chat was talking about the chameleon having the carbon and personally, before I mentioned my bias, like, what do you think about a carbon hardtail? Do you think it's worth it? Um, I would never buy one, but it depends on how you use it. I trust Santa Cruz's Chameleon more than any other companies. Oh, sorry, let me say that again. I trust Santa Cruz's Carbon more than any other company. They, Rat Boy and those 50 to 1 guys beat the crap out of those bikes, and they still keep going for more. I've seen them grind rails on the Carbon of the frame and keep riding them for another six months. And so durability is not a question for me. For me, it's a question of ride characteristic. And the way I ride hardtails is I ride them to, to just to have fun and to have a party on them and to, to jump stuff and huck stuff. And if it, if it bangs into something, who cares? Or if I had a a carbon frame, I, I wouldn't ride it as aggressively as I ride an aluminum one. So, so you just want to be able to like, just hop off that thing, just let it send down the trail on its own and not be sure worried about it. They're so burly. I mean, they'll, they'll take a beating and aluminum's cheap. Aluminum's light. I think the carbon chameleon is like 0.4 pounds lighter, maybe 0.6. It's not enough that I'm going to notice a difference, especially running plus tires. And so like, to me, it's more bragging rights and my bike is cooler than yours, but you know, there are people out there running the chameleon single speed and bringing in like 24 pound bikes. And so that could be really good for them, but for yeah, me, I, mean, I can ride it like a free ride hardtail and the, the carbon doesn't offer a benefit to me, especially at the price. The plus side of it is like what you said is like being able to just let the thing go. Like yeah. the, the chameleon frame is only seven fifty. I mean, you, I think the rear triangle on the, on the, the Bronson for <laughs> like the, like the, uh, factory, like you screwed it up yeah. discount is still 400 bucks. So yeah. like you, you could take that bike and just, just like bang it off a rock, like some kind totally. of caveman. And it's still only going to cost you seven fifty to replace it. And, yeah. and, and I hate to say like, let's just take this, this second, like, people that are like, Oh, carbon's not as good as aluminum. Like there's like, that's a whole religion thing. Of course. My opinion on that. And I'm curious to hear yours. My opinion on that is like frames break. And if you want to see aluminum frames break, go on YouTube. If you want to see carbon frames break, go on YouTube. They both break. Like, so, but I think, I think like, I, I think what you said though, about just like having a bike that you're not concerned about that stuff with, that means a lot. Yeah. I mean, same thing with carbon wheels. I've got carbon wheels on my enduro bike and 
I think they're awesome. I have beat the crap out of them and they are as true as the day I got them. And I've had probably 200 rim strikes with a 200 pound rider on it. I mean, it, it, I have not been easy on it. So I'm sold on carbon wheels, but on my chameleon, I've got aluminum wheels because I loan it out to people. I case stuff. I'm playing around at skate parks and it just, I don't know, like the fun factor is not more fun for me if I have bikes, parts that make it 1% or 2% better. And the one caveat to that is geometry. I will pay a lot for proper geo, but like carbon versus aluminum wheels, if money's no object and companies are giving it to me, I'll take whatever works for me and lets me have fun. That's great, but I, I'm not at that point and people aren't giving me stuff. So I don't know. I will say as a bigger guy, a carbon wheel is a big difference. Like, you know, you feel a bigger difference riding it or like, the let's say it this way. Or you're scared let, it's going to break. No, let's say, it, let's say it this way. Let me, let me, let me give a little bit more information for that. If you build a really good aluminum wheel, it, it's, it's a good wheel. It's yeah. just as good as a carbon wheel. Like I, I have some stands flows that I rode for a long time, built on really nice hubs by a good, by a, this is the key point by a yeah. guy that really knows how to build wheels. Yeah. Like that's, that's like, I know guys that can build wheels on their own and still go to like the guy that can build, build good wheels. Totally. You, you know? So, so if you get a, a good aluminum wheel built by a good builder, yes. they're great. However, yep. Most of the aluminum wheels that like come like let's just say on stock, yep. you know, aren't always a the best wheel itself. There a lot of them are built by a machine, not yep. even hand built. So when I get on those, I can feel them kind of spaghetti on me in corners. Totally, I can and, too. You, in fact, on my chameleon uh, with the stock wheels, I could rub the chainstay with my tire because it would flex enough in corners. Right. So I had a, a nice wheel built up and it doesn't even come close now. So, so if you're a big dude, 200, I mean, I'm, I'm freaking, I'm a fair amount above 250. I'm like 270 right now, 275 mm -hmm. right now, I think. So like carbon wheels make a big difference. <laughs> Are you That's, scared you're going to break them? No, not at all. Not sure. even slightly. Yeah. And I've had some, some days where like I burped a tire and didn't realize it and got done with a ride and I was running in probably like 15 PSI. And, you know, I noticed it whenever I hit a rock and all of a sudden it was like, Kunk, you yeah. know, and I was like, Oh crap. And I thought for sure I screwed them up. No. Yeah. And, and, and if you want to, if you want to be confident about carbon wheels, like good carbon wheels, go watch that Santa Cruz video where it's like Danny Macaskill or whatever the hell he, who it was. Do you know who it was? Yeah. They're like riding it with no wheel on it at all, no rubber on it, like downstairs, just beating the shit out of that thing. It was still staying alive. They're sturdy. Yeah. yeah. And that's good carbon though. I mean, they're, they're yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. Not all carbon's the same. And a lot of people, it's really interesting in the bike world especially with newer riders, you can see when they're checking out your bike or they're bragging about theirs and they say, well, it has carbon this or carbon that. And if, if someone can't mention what bike they have without the word carbon in it, you know that they bought it because it was carbon, not because it was necessarily the right bike for them. And like frame material or rim material is not what makes it great. It's, it's picking the thing that works for you. So yeah, I mean, it's one of those bragging things. I've got carbon wheels. I've got uh xtr i've got a fox 36 kashima and it's just it's more there are dudes who shred on the performance level stuff and 
yeah, I just love to see people shred on something that I'm, I, running I'm, I'm not judging. Like my, my enduro bike's probably an $8,000 bike. So I'm, I'm totally, I've got both ends of the spectrum. I'm running yeah. an NX derailleur on my chameleon. Cause I can't tell the difference between it and an XX one derailleur. I honestly cannot. I can't. And so, I, I'm, I've been blown away by how good that NX is on mine. And then on the other hand, what is this? Uh, what's the stock fork on this chameleon? I think it's like a, it's a Fox a Rhythm 34. Rhythm. It's quite good. Yeah. It's a hundred, it's 120 millimeter. It's a rhythm though. I mean, it's a yeah. cheaper fork. It's not, it's not 34. It's not, you know what I mean? Like I'm there. That fork is not holding me back. No, <laughs> you know? It's a great fork. Yeah. yeah. And respect it well. And so, yeah, I mean, yeah, if if money were no object, I'm I'm kind of torn on my chameleon the way I ride it and with bike packing. I don't want to blow up a carbon rim and be 80 miles from the nearest road and be limping it out. But I think if I had Kush core in it, that'd probably be a different story. And I don't so, know. So you you don't have there's some confidence that you don't have in carbon. Um I for bike packing, yes, but that's that's diminishing more every day. The more I thrash on my other wheels and don't break anything, but like when you're bike packing, your bike weighs sixty pounds. It's not like you're just this little nimble feather flying down the trail. It's it's loaded up with water and tents and cooking gear and stoves and jackets and yeah, all. My, that mine's stuff. loaded up with fat ass biker on it. So <laughs> well, that too, and you got the human weight on there too. I mean, I don't know. The bike packing is just kind of one of those things where I'm always trying to do the what if, and if same with backpacking, if, if I can't repair it when I'm out there, it could turn into a really bad situation, but I don't know. I'm, I, I, every day, the more I ride carbon wheels, the less worried I am that even bike packing they would leave me stranded. So, have you had some like big wheel problems in the past? Zero. I've never tacoed a rim. I've dented rims in the '90s and 2000s, but um, no, it's just that the consequence for failure is so high that even though it's a low probability it's just not worth the risk and it's a it's a throw around bike it's a it's a goof off bike and i've i've got a really nice aluminum wheel set on it so would i take a carbon wheel set sure but uh, i do feel a little bit more confident like bike packing the colorado trail or the arizona trail where there's rocks rocks as big as cinder blocks in the middle of it and i just feel better having aluminum wheels and maybe that's not founded but yeah i do and if they did dent, I could actually fix them and keep my ride going. Whereas carbon is a catastrophic failure. Now for frame materials, I'm not worried about it. Bike packing at all. So, um, I think we got off the wheel, the, the tires a yeah, little bit. Sorry, man. It, I'm all no, over. no, I am too. I'm fine with that, man. <laughs> you should have heard me and Mo, man. Two ADD guys freaking on, on the bigger <laughs> live stream. It's ridiculous. People were like, I don't even understand what's going on. <laughs> um, so, so talk to me about what you think is important in a tire, especially on a hardtail. Yeah. Great question. Um, Hardtail, hardtail is a big category because it could be the $300 Dick Sporting Goods bike you got. It could be the XC race bike you picked up on Craigslist that was full XTR and worth two grand in 1992. 
Um, and or it could mean like a brand new current aggressive hardtail, like a Norco Torrent or a Chameleon or a Cro-Mag or something like that. That's just like 64 degree head angle, like made meant to shred crazy stuff. So it, like, like hardtails kind of go all over the place. So it's hard to talk too generally, but for tires, you're putting a lot more stress on your rear tire. There's no give to that rear suspension. You know, you, if you manual into a, a log on a full suspension, the rear suspension is going to absorb that. And if your legs on a hardtail aren't ready to absorb that, your rim is taking the full brunt of that. And the tire's the only thing between there. So I don't know. I say run the, I, I like to run wide tires personally, cause then I can air them down. Uh, I took the chameleon on captain Ahab, uh, the first month that I bought it and had a blast on that trail super rocky lots of square so, edge. so people that don't know captain ahab that's a pretty pretty chunky moab trail right yeah a lot of uh two foot ledges and three foot ledges and just square edge hits and it's funny whenever you talk to people like we we travel and we ask people what are the trails like everyone says super technical super hard trails um and everyone thinks they have hard trails and stuff and some people do and some people don't Captain Ahab's a pretty good workout for a a, a hardtail, but by I was riding no cush core, tubeless, running 13 psi, and I had probably three rim strikes. And w- because I had a, a 3.0 tire on there, I could really air down. It let me keep my speed. It's almost like having an inch. I want to I want to say this just for people that don't know you or maybe only are listening, like running 13 psi. You're you're a pretty small guy, so you're. What do you weigh? I weigh one eighty, geared up. Oh shit, dude! You're, so you you're packing a little little punch in there? That's huh? right. I'm a stocky guy. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were gonna throw me out like a one sixty or something like that. No, Never I'm mind. Good. I'll just shut the hell up. <laughs> I wish I was there, and I I pushed that bike into the ground pretty good, but um yeah. Anyway, so it had wide rims, wide tires, so I could air down quite a bit, and it took a lot of the sting out and got a lot of control back. So my thought on tires is go with as wide a tire as you can without buzzing your frame in for how I ride and air it down a little bit and take some of that sting out. So I've seen people over and over and over again in the chat asking this, and um, I think we're going to have to address it. Let's do it. What about these other frame types that you can get? I know I see some guys talk about titanium, some guys Ooh. talking about steel. What's what's up with that in hardtails? Excellent question. So my first bike was this Haro team edition in the nineties. And it was this had all these triangles and it was aluminum and super light and it beat the crap out of me. It was so rigid. I was just a ping pong ball bouncing around. Then my next bike was a steel GT Tassahara chromoly. And man, that was night and day. So steel and titanium, it depends on how you build them. And the so wait, you said chromoly. Chromoly is basically like that. That means that they're blending some of the steel or something like that. Yeah, I thought chromium, that was only- chromium and molybdenum. They're different types of steel, and it has a different uh, chemical composition with a different feel on it. I always thought chromoly was aluminum. I thought it was just some kind of like hybrid aluminum. So that's no, steel. it's high end steel. So yeah, so when ah. you see a forty one thirty chromoly or like a Reynolds eight five three. It's a blend of alloys that have certain properties. And so you're able to get them. They have, you know, steel has more flex than aluminum. So if you were to go down to Home Depot and buy a little steel rod versus an aluminum rod, 
The aluminum one's like a paper clip. It's pretty stiff, but when you bend it, you can bend it about three times, then it cracks off. Steel, you can bend and bend and bend and bend. And so a lot of designers will build those flexing into their frame. And so it's stiff side to side, but flexes up and down. And the seat stays you'll actually see are a lot thinner on chrome. Oh bike. yeah, I've seen that before. I didn't realize that that's what it was. So that takes the sting out and it really makes a difference. And that's why they say steel is real and you get all those sayings about that. And steel's not as heavy as you'd think, but it's still heavier than aluminum. So, but you're basically getting that extra flex out of steel. Totally. And there's kind of this, uh, there's kind of this following that it's got kind of like how single speed guys all kind of hang out together and, and geek out on nerdery on, on fun little, uh, niche aspects of it. And steel's kind of one of those things that there's a lot of niche. Uh, my first, my there. first, like now that I know this, like my first, like real mountain bike back in the nineties was a Cromoly bike. It was the, the giant ATX 760. You know, what's funny yeah. is uh, I start uh, at, at work. There's some, this room where like people can put all their bikes that like ride to work. And somebody has one of those ATX 760s up there. <laughs> I was just standing there like staring at the thing the other day. And I was like, I hope nobody walks in here and thinks I'm like casing this thing. But it was just like really fun to see that bike. Yeah. It was like, man, I haven't seen that thing since the nineties. Yeah. Good question. So yeah, steel has a totally different feel. I've ridden titanium bikes. I've worked at shops for about six years and I got to ride all sorts of customers' bikes, but I've never owned a titanium bike. I would So love what's the draw to titanium then if that titanium's pretty it was the boutique thing before carbon became big. And so um it's hard to weld. It requires special uh atmosphere. So there's like special fans blowing special gases on it so it doesn't mix with oxygen and all that stuff. Titanium doesn't rust. So that's why you see a lot of raw tie frames that have no painting on them. Mm -hmm. um, titanium also has a, it's, it's way lighter than steel. They're able to make the tubes thinner and still have the strength of steel. And so you can get, in fact, Lightspeed back in the 90s built a full suspension titanium frame with no pivots. And it relied entirely on the rear triangle flexing on the titanium. The titanium would flex enough that they had a little shock up there with maybe an inch of travel. And it would, it, it ha they built enough flex and then it could flex so many times without worry of breaking or fatigue. So yeah, titanium's got less weight than steel, but it still has that compliant feel. I've heard uh, stories of guys at the finish line just sprinting on their tie bikes and you could watch the bottom bracket sway left and right because it had that flex in it. And some people love that and some people don't. Well, isn't that like, the, that's diminishing your power then though, if it's flexing it, that much too. It depends on where they build the flex in. So based on where they weld it, on what's part of the bottom bracket and how thin it is here and how uh, thin it is there. And so it, and just how big the tubes are really, really change all that stuff. So when people say, I have a titanium frame, like you were saying with a high end aluminum wheel set or carbon wheel set, like depends on who built it, just like building a good wheel set. A great builder knows where to put the flex in and where not to. And you, it's not just as simple as saying what material it is. Therefore, my bike's better than yours. Mm -hmm. It's fun stuff, though. But it's kind of people don't really talk about it because it mainly applies to hardtails. And right now, carbon is so cool. And I love carbon. Carbon is so cool. And aluminum so cheap and so light that aside from the UK, there aren't a whole lot of companies building 
steel and titanium bikes anymore. But my next my my uh, next bike will be steel, my replacement for my chameleon. I'm excited to announce that in a couple of weeks. My single speed steel that, that I have, my road single speed for, yeah. for and um I I'll tell you what, man, I, I've put a lot of miles on that bike. I mean, like I've done some 70 mile road rides on it yeah. and and it's definitely um been a, a good bike for I paid like 400 bucks for it. That's the beauty of a single speed. It's fucking yeah. cheap as hell. Yeah. But um, I'll tell you the first time that when I bought my CX bike and I, I bought that so I could put slicks on it and ride it as a road bike or, or put the, the knobbies on it. And uh, I'll tell you that thing's carbon. The first time I got on it, I was like, wow, this is a lot more comfortable. <laughs> the carbon was more comfortable. I felt like it was, I don't know. Well, they can do the same thing with carbon. They can build in flex in certain certain ways so that's like the first envy wheels that came out were so stiff all around they beat people up yeah and uh, they were stiff side to side so they never flex on corners but they were stiff up and down too but now they're building wheels so they have up and down compliance but they're stiff side to side so i mean back in the day most carbon and aluminum frames they didn't think about flex and they just wanted the stiffest thing ever and it really beat people up especially light riders but yeah that's surprising to me to hear that your carbon bike was more comfortable than your steel but yeah no, no, i just felt i felt like it too. was i will yeah, say the first wrong. time i will say the first time that i got carbon handlebars on my my old bike that i was talking about that i felt like i was expecting like i don't know like the carbon was like the buzzword right so like sure. i bought these carbon handlebars just because that's what you know I thought I was right. supposed to do and I had money. I just, you know, upgrade itis, which every mountain biker has. So I bought these carbon handlebars and I remember going on my first ride and I was like, dude, these things are freaking tough. Like they're beating me up. Yeah. Like I definitely felt the, like the sore wrists or whatever. And I was like, yeah, I, I don't know why I did that. You know? Well, that's the danger of adhering to without fully understanding what makes something better. Thinking that a $20 carbon, handlebar off ebay is going to be the same as a 200 dollars reynolds carbon bar there i mean they engineer that stuff in but you know when people buy stuff like there's all these carbon frames popping That's up exactly, on ebay thanks for calling for me out. i did i did buy the fucking 20 dollars ones from but, china but you're not, <laughs> everyone does that because they think it's carbon it must be better without i was like oh this is the same company that's building exactly. the, the, the expensive ones i'm, I'm just gonna <laughs> do that man but you're i'll tell alone, you what dude. I'll tell you what, though, there is a certain thing that's called peace of mind. And in my head, I knew that that was not as good carbon as those good <laughs> ones. So in my mind, I was always like, these things are going to break someday. And whenever it came to like, okay, I like these bars. Now I'm going to, I bought a good set afterwards because yeah. I was just paranoid the whole time riding it that they were just going to yeah. snap. You know, because carbon, oh, when it snaps, man, it's like, like, like you've, I think everybody that watches YouTube has seen that video of freaking, I think it was like single track sampler or BKXC where that dude hit the jump and the bar just snapped and it like slammed into his leg and he's like bleeding yeah. all over the trail. And it's like, holy crap. I don't want to be that guy. I don't yeah. want to be that guy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I mean, a lot of people latch on to th these trends and marketing teams are super effective. Like. Uh, you got to have this, you got to have that. And if there's carbon, this it's 2% stiffer. And so then we think, okay, I need that carbon thing. What's the cheapest one I can buy without, without factoring in the other things. So just 
just as we become more aware, we're better consumers and we, and as you demo bikes, like that's probably my biggest takeaway is get on as many different bikes as you can. If you ride with friends, hop on their bike, even just around the parking lot, you can start to feel stuff immediately and start to form your own conclusions and don't let the companies tell you what you're expected to feel when you ride certain things. Well, I can tell you this, dude, there's been bikes that I've been on in love with online yeah, and then I got in them. It's been the same thing even with buying a car. There's been cars that I've been in love with. And then yeah. I test drove them and I was like, eh. Yeah. Like, like, I don't know who it was. One of my friends somewhere along the line, they said, like, you always got to give something the butt test. You know, yeah. and like when you put your butt on it, you're like, oh, yeah, that's comfortable. And yeah. I'll tell you, like, that's that like gut, like gut feelings about things are always right. They are yeah. always right. So yeah. you go and you take that bike that, you know, you go down to the bike shop and you get on the the $3,000 whatever and you ride that around the parking lot. But if you get on the $1,500 one and you're like, oh, no, I like the way this feels, buy it. Totally. <laughs> like, totally. That's the one to get, you know. Because yeah, and then if you can do a real demo like Outer Bike or Sedona and really take it on a trail and especially trails that mimic your trails at home. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, that is that I is think that's money well spent and th those type of events are worth their weight in gold yeah because you can try a bunch of bikes for a low price let's just say like sedona for example i think it was 100 bucks i think it's crazy cheap yeah. i think we so, went up to 130 at the end right so, so even if it was 300 bucks i mean it's like yep. let's say so it's 150 let's just say it's 150 130 whatever it is sure. you got three days of being able to ride as many bikes as you can stand in line for versus like going to a shop and and if you're lucky a shop has a bike for rental about 50 bucks most of them for the good bikes are like 100 bucks maybe some yep. of the shops are even 150. yep so right. so i mean even if you're set on buying and a good shop will let you demo a few bikes like you're still going to be in a couple hundred bucks totally. of, of demos they'll roll that into the cost of the bike that you buy yeah. But even if you're just trying things to try things, I mean, you could be a couple hundred dollars in and if your budget's already low, sure. that's, that's going to eat up some of that. So definitely I go agree. to one of the, go to one of these events, keep an eye out with your bike shops because they'll be hooking up with their vendors and they'll have somebody like Norco, for example, will put on an, a demo event. It's free. Yep. That doesn't even cost you anything. You just got to yep. show the hell up. And a lot of times with those demos, you'd be surprised. Not many people show up. Totally agree. Like. Totally agree. So my biggest pet peeve about those, and I love demos from the Hardtail Party perspective, our YouTube channel, is I never see hardtails there. I remember walking up to Marin and they had all their polygon uh, crazy suspension bikes and Marin's doing some great cheap mountain bikes for like 1800 bucks for full suspension. And I said, do you have the San Quentin here? Because that's a bike I've been wanting to ride. And they're like, no, sorry. And so I go to all these things hoping to ride some rad hardtails, and they aren't there. And I think if some companies had some sweet hardtails at these demo events, people might ride them and be like, whoa, whoa, I, wow, maybe I don't need to drop five grand on the latest whatever enduro bike. So I'd love to see more of that. Yeah, no, I definitely would, dude. I, I definitely would. I, I agree with you there. So... <clears throat> Let's go ahead and, and move on to what I know you're very passionate about. Let, let's talk about geometry. So the first thing that I want to ask you is 
and I'm not one of those guys. That, you're really knowledgeable, Steve, and, 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 I, and I appreciate your knowledge. So that's why I'm, I'm going to like pick your brain as much as I can while I got you on here. Please do. What is the reason that you want the chain stays shorter? Hmm. That is an excellent question. I'm tiny. I'm five foot six, but my inseam. So the way to measure your inseam is to take a book and put it between your legs and raise it as high as it'll go. Then measure from the ground to the spine of that book where that is. And mine's 29 inches. So I can't even straddle flat foot over a 29 inch wheel. My legs are so short. And the way I like to ride coming from a BMX background is I like to manual stuff. I like to jump. I like to get playful in the air. And when I, and I, I like to bunny hop and the longer a chain stay is the harder it is to do those things, especially for small people. And, you know, you've got to get your hips behind the rear axle. And so I only have 29 inches of leg extension to get back there. And so if, if the, I mean, one centimeter makes a world of a difference. That being said, I don't think everyone should be on the shortest chain stay that's possible, but especially small riders should, especially if they want to learn to bunny hop and manual and uh, and move the bike around a little bit more. But on a 29er, which a lot of the hardtails are nowadays, I don't, I don't even, yeah. is there many, is there even a hardtail that's 27.5? I don't even know. There's some. Probably a few. Most of them are coming 29 that shorter chain stay doesn't it add to like kind of the, it, it fixes some of that like rails that 29ers tend to ride on it it makes it a little more flicky doesn't it a little more responsive yes it's kind of like driving a long bed pickup or a short bed pickup you know the further back your wheels are the smoother it is going down the highway and the more stable it is and um and the shorter it is, it's kind of like a little Miata. It just kind of zips through stuff a little bit better in general. There's there are other factors. But I like if your goal is to go as fast as you can down a hill and stay on the ground and be planted. And if I'm racing enduro, I want a longer chain stay. Mm -hmm. But I'm all about partying. I want to go to a rock and sesh it for an hour with our friends and see if we can find eight ways to climb up it and see if anyone can manual off it or nose wheelie down it. And so to me having a long chain stay prevents that, but it does help my Strava times. And so mm -hmm. it, you just, you just build what's best for you. But I, I have this theory that taller people with longer legs are not as sensitive to chain stay to, to, they usually don't have a chain stay that's too long for them because they have long legs and they can get their hips back enough to get in that manual position. For me, the way the bike feels, especially a 29er, until they started like really shortening up the chain stays, I hated them. Me too. <clears throat> and I'm a tall guy. I mean, I'm 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 six two. Yeah. And I, I just feel like it really makes the bike like way more active. That's the best like verb I can come up with. Like it's <clears throat> excuse me. It just feels alive. like it, yeah, it just gives it a little bit more like flickability is another one of those words that I like to use. Yeah. And I'd rather have that chain stay short for that like maneuverability or whatever. And then have that like the top two be a little bit longer. Yeah. I, and, and a lot of people agree with you and I do too. I love that sh short rear end. Like my magic number is about four fifteen. If you ever hop on a dirt jumper, even like dirt jumpers only come in one size. Sometimes you get two sizes. 
but dirt jumpers have like a 400 millimeter chain stay and um you can't fit a 27.5 in them except why y cycles makes this really cool titanium dirt jumper just because they're weird and they try different things which is awesome but uh the the bigger your wheel the smaller the less you can shorten that chain stay so if we're running 40 inch wheels one day your chainstay is going to have to be about 20 to 23 inches to even fit the wheel in there. So as our wheels get bigger, our chainstays grow. So um, back in the 2000s, I could manual everything fine because they were 26-inch wheels and they had short chainstays. But as we got into this 29er movement in 27.5, the chainstays had to grow to fit those. So we're seeing long chainstays now. And a lot of people... Uh, mimic what their favorite racer does and the racers want longer wheelbases because they're more stable and you can just fly down the, the hill just bomb stuff with that long chain stay yeah i mean that's the that's the 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 bread and butter of pole right mm -hmm. they're just these super long bikes yeah and some bikes are long in the front and some bikes are long in the back and some are long in both when you have a long in both it rails berms and long corners so well there's nothing like it and i prefer that over a short chain stay but i for those of you with with bikes with sliding dropouts like a chameleon i encourage you to try it at 415 and try it at 430 you can slide that back and forth and see what a difference it makes on your riding style but yeah having it stretched out man on on big long high speed sweep returns it's like a roller coaster it's really cool so the downside is when they're shortening those chain stays on these 29ers is then you're getting a, a bend in the seat tube, which yep. depending on your height could limit your dropper. Totally. And it kind of changes the, the angle, but you know, people, people say there's no room for a 29er to have a short chain stays, but Trek makes the stash, which is a 29 plus tire, which is 30.5 inches tall. And they've got a 415 chain stay on it. And so it's doable. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. It's not what everybody wants. But for small riders, I think chain stay length's super important. And once once I did this fun experiment where I took someone's height for like a five foot oh person and a five and a six foot four person. And so and I put on like if a, a five foot zero person riding 29ers is like a six foot four person riding like 34 inch tires. And like, how would that change your riding if your tires were now 34 inches tall? What would change? Like things would change. Yeah. Yeah. It would. Suck. I'm not anti 29er, but it, it doesn't have a lot of room to make short chain stays. But yeah. So I think that's really important, especially for small riders. But yeah, pay attention to that. And I've had people say, oh, I have short chain stays too. Mine are only an inch or two longer than yours. And to be honest, I can feel a difference in a quarter inch chain stay immediately just in trying to get into a manual. It either takes a whole lot of effort to get into that position or it just comes up when I want to. And that chameleon, man, I don't even have to be back. I just am riding and I think manual and it just starts manualing. It's pretty awesome. Uh, that's weird. Mine doesn't do that. <laughs> maybe it's because yes, I, it <laughs> I, I don't have the skill set that's the problem i want that was one of the reasons honestly that i bought the another one of the reasons that i bought the chameleon was that i wanted to work on things and i felt like having a hardtail doesn't give me the ability to screw up as much and yeah. i felt like that would be like beneficial to me learning how to i felt like learning how to like wheelie on a on a hardtail would be better learning how to manual would be like a little bit easier to like kind of learn that 
body mechanics because it's more reactive and you don't have to like mentally think about the suspension, what that's doing yeah. to what you're trying to do. And then and there was like some just fun it. tricks and stuff that I used to do on the BMX back in the day that I'm like, I can work on that with a hardtail where I can't, I, I don't feel the same ability on, on a full suspension bike. I feel, feel like it's important to, to work on those skills with that. So that's why I'm excited or another reason I'm excited about having this bike. So I know, you know, geometry well, so I'm going to keep pinging you on this. So what do, let's talk about um, the seat tube angle. What does that mean? Cause we'll get to, we'll get to head tube angle. That's the easiest one in my opinion. Sure. So, so what about seat tube angle? What do you think about that? So one thing on geometry first, we need to be careful when we compare uh, hardtail geometry to full suspension geometry, because different things happen when you're on them. When you're on a hardtail and you sit on it, the front suspension sags. The rear suspension doesn't sag because it's a rigid piece of metal and it can't go anywhere. So when you hop on a hardtail and it sags, the seat tube just got st steeper when it sagged. Right. That makes just sense. Just from sagging on it. And when you get on a hardtail and sit on it, they both sag. And your seat tube angle didn't effectively change. It's so, the same so, as when you're on it or not. So I'll talk to, to that point real quick. I can tell you when I had a full suspension, I, my Profit was the bike that I was riding before as a Cannondale Profit. And they had the ability to change your seat tube angle by changing a boat or a bolt. And uh -huh. um, so you could go from 70, what was it? It was like maybe it was like 73 degrees to like 69 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you as far as like effectively how much, like what like inches that moved, it probably barely moved like not even a half an inch. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if that, and, and that difference in the seat tube angle was huge in the way that that bike rode like yeah. huge, like it climbed way different. So like in the steeper head tube angle, it climbed like freaking a stud, yeah. but it sucked to descend on. So like what he's saying about that sag of the suspension on a, on a hardtail where it's moving that seat forward, that's a big thing. Like those of you guys that don't know geometry or new into biking or whatever, like that little bit of sag really dramatically changes it. So that's probably what you're getting at with the hardtail is they're slacking the hell out of it now to kind of overcome that sag in the, in the suspension. So yeah, that's head tube angle. Yeah. But the seat angle, it doesn't need to be as steep on a hardtail as it does on a full suspension. Cause when okay, I, okay. So up, then I read that wrong then. So explain to me then we're talking seat tube angle still. Right. This so I thought you were saying the seat tube angle changes because of the sag in the, in the, it does. Fork. So when I come up to a steep hill, like I'm riding slick rock in Moab, it's really steep. I lean forward and the fork squats. My seat tube angle, because it pivots when it squishes, my seat tube angle just got steeper. Right. And so if I'm riding a full suspension bike, that let's say both bikes have a 74 degree seat tube angle, which is okay. kind of standard now. They're, they're steeper out there, but that's kind of where a lot of stuff is. Right. On the hardtail, I go to the climb, it becomes a 76, we'll say. On the full suspension, I go to a climb, it stays a 74 because the front and back are squishing equally. Right. And it might even squish more in the back because my weight's back, and that makes it even slacker on the back. So now, so when your seat tube is slacker, you've got all this leverage 
pulling back on the bike. And tall people especially are going to feel this. Yeah, yeah, your front tire like will me, pull up real easy. Feel it. Yeah, my seat tube sticks out 150 mil. That's it. So a few degrees, I can feel it, but it's not. I've never been on a bike that's just like, well, I take that back. There, a Yeti SB66C was so slack on the seat tube that on wheels on climbs it would just lift and so yeah. a lot of a lot of big guys feel that if it's not more straight up you got all that weight over the back of your wheel and it's a lever and it's just lifting the front so anyway yeah the, and, and if you have that front tire lifting like that it then it wanders you don't have the traction you actually have to then like body mechanics wise put your weight forward so that you can weight yeah. that front wheel yeah. And then it's like a kind of like a game because you need to weight that front wheel, but not so much that you unweight the rear wheel and you yep. start spinning out. Yep, totally. And so if you want to experiment with seat tube angle, it's it's funny. No one really talked about this until seat tube angle became like the thing right now. And I'm glad it is a thing. I'm not complaining, but you can change your seat tube angle without changing your frame. You'll notice your seat has these rails on it and you can slide it forward and back several inches. That completely changes your seat tube angle. So if you want to feel what a steeper seat tube angle feels like, slide your seat all the way forward to within the minimum maximum lines on your seat. And you will start to feel the difference. How on climbs, sit, it pushes the nose of the bike down. And really seat tube angle only affects climbing because when you're going down, the seat's out of the way. Yeah. And so a lot of people are measuring. They say, I want a longer bike because when I'm climbing, my handlebars are close to me. Well, a steeper seat angle is bringing you closer to the bars. And so now we're kind of in this weird spot where people are uh, feel like they're all choked up on the bike on the climbs, and then they get to the descent, and it feels super long because as that seat tube angle gets steeper, it brings you closer to the bars when you're, when you're climbing, and when you're standing, your, your bottom bracket's still back there. And so it's I mean, people need to look at reach in two different ways. And when they talk about it, it either needs to be climbing or descending because your reach climbing depends on where your seat's at. Your reach descending depends on where your feet are at. I hope yeah, I'm for me, being a tall guy that always rides a, a smaller frame, my seat's always like rocked all the way back outside of the min-max. Like I, I, I've actually like chose seats not for comfort, just for how long their rails were. So that I could get that seat back far enough that I would feel comfortable when I was climbing. But I was, I'm always, I mean, even with the Bronson, like I, I'm always struggling because I'm putting my seat back so far and I'm a big guy too, that like I'm unweighting the front wheel a lot. So I have to use my, my body mechanics to overcome that. It sounds counterintuitive. Try sliding it forward a little. That will effectively steepen the seat tube angle. So when you slide it back, you're making your seat angle slacker. Yeah, but I don't feel comfortable then because I, I have my height is in my my torso. Sure. So, so that that's where like for me, it's like I if I if I have that seat forward, I just feel like I'm I'm like I'm, your I'm just crammed hands are at your knees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just feel crammed, you know, so like. I want that seat back all the way so that I don't feel so like cramped because I'm also riding a smaller bike. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? So I'm shortening that, uh, the, the space that I have. It's you, true. You, you know, you're totally and, right. And, and I know that I know that when I ride a bike and I feel that front tire wandering, like pulling or wandering, it's probably 
Like if I wrote an Excel, I wouldn't have that problem. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? True. Like, yeah. So but you like the small feel on the down and, and that's yeah, I just I like mean, the flickability of it. I mean, it's I'm just like so much more fun. And, and honestly, dude, like would well, at least you and I, I mean, there's some people that, that ride for the climbs. I, I don't ride for the climbs. <laughs> I, I ride for, for the fun parts, you know? Yeah. And so I'm willing to be upset about the climb or maybe my wheel comes up and I screw up some climb. I don't give a shit. I just, yeah. I, I just want to have a lot of fun when I'm going down and I want to have a lot of fun, especially in the chunky stuff. And, um, I can't do that if I have, a bike that is is longer like I, it's not as like maneuverable in that like tight techy chunky stuff like if you're like like mashing tech like like you would in like downeyville where you're, you're hitting it fast that shit doesn't matter sure. but when you're in that like slow techy like i need to really decide where this wheel is going yeah. kind of riding which is the like that is my favorite Me like too. i lo i love smashing rocks but what i love more than smashing rocks is looking at a section of trail where you're like, that's stupid. You shouldn't be able to ride through that. And you go through it at like two miles an hour yeah. and you're like, oh my God, I did it. Like, that's my favorite part. That's my favorite part. I love that stuff too. And smaller bikes are better at that. Yeah. That, that was the thing with, when I first started trying 29ers, I was like, this thing's picking a line. I don't want it to pick that line. I want to be in control. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, so let's, let's dip into head tube angle i'm going to ask you to explain to people what head tube angle is and like kind of like what your sweet spot number is i'm going to run away real quick because i got used yeah to no worries room. so you go ahead and do that talk about um i, I will I'll, I'll lead you with this um no i won't i won't lead you how about this you talk about head tube angle all right hard to describe in audio alone so for all of you in podcast land we love you I'll do my best to explain it. We've all seen those chopped out motorcycles with like the eight hangers where the front wheel is like, it looks like it's 10 feet in front of the motorcycle and they're just sitting back and that wheel is way up there. That's a slack head angle. It's the angle that those forks are at. And I guess slack is a relative term because maybe 20 years from now, we're all going to be riding something that's very different. And what we ride today might be considered too slack or too steep. I don't know. But the angle that your forks are at uh, completely changes how the bike handles, how it turns. Um, it changes the wheelbase. So the longer, the more slacked out, the more raked out that is, it pushes that front wheel ahead of you a little bit more, which usually means you have to get forward and really weight that front wheel on your corners or it's going to be too light and wash out on you. Um, and in the past, a lot of mountain bikes came from the road bike world. We Road bikes we're around for hundreds of years and did really well. Well, maybe not hundreds, a hundred, 150, somewhere in there. <clears throat> Sorry. I'm not a historian. Don't, don't check my facts while I'm talking live. <laughs> so, but we adopted a lot of our current mountain biking stuff from road bike geometry. And we've slowly worked our way back to making stuff specific to mountain bikes that works well for mountain bikes. And a lot of that is head angle. So back in the nineties and two thousands, mountain bikes had really steep head angles because we were all about cross country and it came from the road bike. I mean, road bikes have probably, and I don't even know, I'm going to say like 73 degree head angles, I'm guessing. 
Um, and it sounds like being one or two degrees off wouldn't make a much of a difference, but it makes a huge difference. So anyway, our mountain bikes grew out of old clunkers and BMXers and, and road bikes that had this um, direct steering input that you steer it a little bit. It makes a big difference. And a steep head angle will do that. So something in like the 68, 69 degrees up to 72 degrees is going to feel twitchy at speed, but really maneuverable on slow stuff, especially climbs. And that's what we were all about in the 90s. And so that's what bikes were made for. But these days, tracks are getting bigger. Uh, people are riding faster than ever. Um, people are riding through rougher stuff than ever. So we are pushing that front fork out of us. Out, and we're raking it out a little bit more every year to be able to handle those big impacts. And so that's that's what uh, head tube angle means. And you can feel the difference immediately. So in general, as a rule of what's, thumb. What's, what's your favorite head tube angle? Ooh, it really depends on the bike. Like I don't. When, when you look at a bike, I'll tell you right now, for me, I'm not interested in lists. It's at least 67. 65 i'm oh. starting to, I'm, I'm i'm like okay that's about what i want 65 yeah, just hardtails, yeah for hardtails i like 65 and slacker i would love like a 63 degree hardtail because like i said it's 63 degrees till you sit on it then it's 64 then you're climbing now it's 65 and it's getting steeper as it cycles through suspension and for full suspension it depends on the bike but i don't like anything typically steeper than 66 Mm -hmm. but there's kind of this coolness factor that the slacker you are, the cooler it is. And people need to get over that. Cause yeah. um, even with full suspension though, like full suspension, I'm probably looking at like, I want it like a 65. That's probably what I want. Yeah, 60, I like but I, I've ridden a 67 that I've been like, had a lot of fun with. It yeah. just depends on how the bike is set up. But I mean, if you, if you get into like 69, like unless you're, you're riding if you're not riding chunk if you're riding like xc stuff dude get a 69 yeah you're, you'll be happy with your climbing you'll be stoked but and if your you're riding changes go ahead your technique changes so like if you're riding a 69 70 degree head angle and sadly this is my biggest pet peeve with the bike industry right now is they don't make bikes under a thousand bucks that have good angles and it's no more expensive it costs zero extra dollars to have a slacker head angle. I mean, maybe you need to beef it up a little because the frame will take a little more abuse, but angles are free. Um, but most cheap bikes under $1,000 have like 70 degree head angles and they are twitchy and scary for new riders. That's what you and need. You need stickers that say angles are free, dude. <laughs> I, like that. I need to add that. So when you're riding something with that steep of a head angle, all of your steering input is done by twisting the bars. And that's how you steer around a corner is you twist the bars and keep the bike upright. When you have a slack head angle, you steer by dipping the bike. So I encourage you to go watch Jeff Kendall Weed or Nate Hills or Trail, Fe trail Features or Trail Peak. Sorry, Trail Features. We love you. I meant to say Trail Peak, but you can watch Trail Features too. Um, <laughs> but I'm, Trail Peak especially, you watch when they ride, they hardly turn the bars at all. It's like... If it was locked straight, they could still make every corner. And because the head angle is slack enough, they're able to dump the bike instead of turning at the bars. Anyway. So with that being said, let's talk about bars then. What about bars, yeah. man? So a lot of people are, are are in this like new frame of mind that like the widest is the best. 
I'm I'm six two. I have some broad ass shoulders, and eight hundred works for me great. Yeah. However, how do you feel as? I mean, how tall are you, Steve? I'm five six. I'm a five, little guy. Five six. So is an eight hundred good for a five six guy? Uh, I'm not going to tell people what they can do, but I'm running seven sixty, and I like it. I could probably run seven fifty, and it might fit me a little better. I don't know. So I still had a lot of fun when I was running like six sixty. Yeah. So like. And I have personally, I have a really hard time with whether or not I buy into handlebar width actually being fucking effective because to me, I feel like your brain makes up for whatever it is. And, and when yeah. you first get on a, like a wide bar and you had a, a skinny one before you feel yeah. like it's like all over the place and then you get comfortable with that. And if you get on a skinny one, then you feel like it's all over the place. I feel like your brain just makes up for it. Let, yeah. do, you, do you know the science behind it? I, I refer to Lee McCormick. He uh, owns Lee likes bikes. He's a great coach. He's got some awesome books out there and he's talked a lot about this topic. Um, he works with Sid and Mackie a lot. Our friends, I, I will defer to him. I will say a wider bar affects your reach. So if your hands are wider, it brings it in closer to you. You can't have it wide and far away like you can with a narrow bar. So you look at like the dudes riding the fixies in San Francisco that have like a six inch wide bar. They can reach out there pretty good because it doesn't need to move a lot. But when you go wider, it ends up bringing you forward onto the front of the bike a little bit more. So, so it, basically because the bar is wider, you have to move it more to turn that too. And, and if and people so are, if you lose range of motion when it's too wide, like there's, if it's way too wide, you, you can't move it certain ways. Right. So I think what I'm getting at though, is what that has done. I think the reason that it's taken off so well is that it's, it's made people, people's like, silly mistakes of overcorrecting not as relevant because the bars aren't as reactive and i think that's why people are like oh it smooths it out it makes it and it's like no it's just it's just adjusting for you screwing up and you couple it with slack head angles and the combined effect yeah you're right it it uh, is less twitchy yeah but i feel like you know so i don't know that that's just me that's just my my uh, my personal opinion, and and honestly, like I said, I'm running 800s, but I, I would too if I were your size. Yeah, I mean, my my shoulders are really wide, so I mean, for me, like it, it definitely puts me in more of a comfortable position. I yeah. don't know how much it really affects my ability to ride, though. Check Lee's article out for those of you that are curious about it. He has some great thoughts on the topic and it, it changes your body position on the bike and where your weight is when you come into corners and go up and go downhill, whether you're more centered over the middle or, or more toward the front or more toward the back. And, and he actually developed some shoulder problems by running the wrong width bar. He then changed it and corrected his shoulder problems. Everybody's different. I'm not going to tell you what number you should be riding, but, uh, I'm I'm glad that bike that bars come wide that you can cut down instead of buying a bar that's too narrow and wishing, well, great. I wish this was three inches wider. Now I have to go spend two hundred bucks on a bar now. Yeah, yeah, that was always the big fear for me, like cutting the bars. Like, I know it's scary. You cut your commit, you know. Yeah. So, um, somebody said that when your bars are wider, it helps you open up your lungs. I, that I've felt. 
But when I open up my lungs, I put I open up my hands anyway and open up my chest and put them almost on the side of the bars. And because usually when I need open lungs, I'm climbing and I don't need a death grip on the bars. So you can experiment with different hand positions on the bars if you do. I rode bars. I rode bar ends on my bike up until even when I started my channel. I had like little short stubby ones. And yeah. YouTube just freaking shit all over me. <laughs> and that's honestly, I swear to God, it's the only reason that I took them off because it is a million times com more comfortable having yeah. your hands at a, how do I explain this for people that are listening? Like the way that your hands come off of your arms, that is the, the, the way like biomechanically they are set to be the most like comfortable. When you yeah. turn your hands sideways to hold on to a handlebar, that's not like like that. Your body doesn't want to be in that position. If your body wanted to be in that position, when you let your hands down to the side of your your, your body, <laughs> they would be in that position. No, they they go. Your hands go straight down. Yeah, I like that's that the way that your your like your bones and your muscles want them to go. So like when I'm climbing, even today without my bar ends, fuck all you haters out there. It's not <laughs> you guys every time i'm climbing though but i still i i every time i'm climbing i'm resting the palm of my hand sideways on the very ends of my bars hand every time. i grip my air uh bar ends and it just gives you different yeah. hand positions it lets you relax your hand and stretch it out a little and it still opens up the chest like that so i mean if you're doing a super long stage and i agree wider bars do open your chest up and help the breathing i'm not just dis disputing that but don't feel like you have to go buy wide bars now because you breathe heavy on climbs because we all do. And there are other things you can do. Yeah. <laughs> There's other things you can do like more cardio. That'll, that'll solve that. <laughs> I hate that answer. Right. I know. I don't like that either. I'm like, yeah. oh, I thought chicken wings and beer was good. <laughs> apparently not. So let's talk about why you started this channel, dude. So you, you, I mean, you have a successful YouTube channel that's like quote unquote yours, the more you can explore. Yeah. And, and you're definitely a, a, a big part of the dusty Betty channel. What, why was it that you decided to go ahead and be like, Hey, I, I want to do more work. <laughs> <laughs> I've been thinking about this for at least a year now and just struggling uh, to know what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. Um, it's interesting when you build a YouTube channel, you build it toward, uh, and I know those of you that don't have channels hate hearing us talk about channels, but this might give you a little bit of perspective. You, you kind of generate an audience based on the type of content you build. And if you ever veer from that content, your audience is mad because they came here for type A videos and you're giving them type B videos all of a sudden. Right. So the more we explore Dusty Betty videos can't be Steve. Right. And and <laughs> well and Dusty Betty, I love being a part of Dusty Betty and I will continue to be on that channel. But the, we always have these discussions like I'm getting a new enduro bike, do I review it on Dusty Betty? Dusty Betty's really about women's perspective on mountain biking and getting girls hooked. And while it's got a great audience that might like that content, it's kind of hijacking Tess's purpose of the channel. And right. so I kind of reach this point where I'm like, I don't want to step on her toes. And we'd always have these discussions and say, should we just not do the women's thing and just have it be a couple's channel? Or should we just do women's thing and not keep blending them? Cause it, we kept re going back and forth. How do we want to define this? And she's got such a good thing going with dusty Betty. She's inspiring so many women and it's, it's, 
it's unique and it's something that no one else is doing out there. And it's a great focus she's got. And I fully support that. She's hands hands down the best, like female mountain bike channel. There's no doubt. Thank you. She works so hard on it and I'm so proud of her. And she, she down talks her riding, but she's a great writer and she's very relatable. Last time she was talking about, I like she, Oh, I can try to keep up with the guys and inspire girls. I'm like, dude, I've ridden with you. Uh, you were inspiring me. You're the one that like, like we were in Downeyville. She's like popping these drops. And I'm like, I I had to run up to it six times and (laughs) pray to Jesus. And like, I did a little smoke signal thing just in case I died. And like, I wrote out my will. I was like, man. So like she's uh, she's definitely downplays her riding she, she does and that needs to change she's a great rider she's super humble she's a great ambassador for the sport and i didn't want to get in the way and i just found myself wanting to have an opinion and share stuff that wasn't related to her theme so i thought man what do i love i love hardtails and that's something no one's really doing right now and i i kind of want people to stop saying i only have a hardtail or i just have a hardtail or because i don't have a $9000 enduro bike i can't ride that trail yes you can and we want to show it and and this cha- channel is going to be unique too we're calling it hardtail party it's a community hardtail party is not about me showing off my riding skills or it's not the steve focus the hardtail is the focus and the viewers are the focus and so one really unique thing we're going to be doing is featuring videos from the viewers. So it's not watch Steve on a bike every week. It's, hey, this guy's been trying to conquer this climb for three years, and it doesn't look hardcore on camera, but he sent in this video of him doing it on a hardtail. Let's go check it out. Or um, we're going to have a contest where everyone can submit a video on how it on how their writing goes toward that contest. So a lot of opportunity for people that want a stage that want to grow their youtube channel and want to be seen on this they can submit stuff and share to the stoke of heart all things hardtail i i love hardtails i love the party atmosphere you get when you ride them and you just stop caring about times and you just goof around and we want to create a community around that so the, those of you guys that are admins please um actually i think i have this channel up here already if you guys are admins maybe maybe oh wait actually i got it here i can do this and talk at the same time Woo! fucking multitasking like a you're not even chewing gum yet right i know right <laughs> so, like, here, here's the here's the link to the channel i'm gonna put it in the show more later so you guys can can go check out the hardtail party definitely go over there and subscribe uh, earlier today, he was at 67 subscribers, not even at 100. And then uh, apparently threw out a little little social media blast, and he's up there like 500 already. So, but let's see if we can monetize this guy by the end of the week, right? That'd be awesome. Um, so somebody said something on here, and and I'm hoping that I can like use it to pigeonhole you into saying yes. <laughs> what are you guys doing at the end of June? Because I'm hoping that's about when the uh, the biker camp's going to happen in Downeyville. And somebody said, how about hardtails in Downeyville? And I tell you what, I totally, I want to run my chameleon down Downeyville. I want to do it. I'm there with you. Like, so end of June, we actually are partnering with Western spirit, uh, the awesome guide company who puts on outer bike. And we're doing a grand Canyon trip with them and they're hauling all our gears. They're cooking for us. They're, hauling our tents and they follow us. You weren't invited. So anyways, yeah, (laughs) yeah, we're going to be at grand Canyon uh, 
with other people who follow our YouTube channels. It's an open invite to people doing that. Uh, that's, I think that's more towards the middle of June. So, um, I don't think we're going to be able to make Downeyville for biker camp, but we are, we do want to ride that trail on a hardtail. It's totally rideable on a hardtail, oh, yeah. even fast. And you I'll, know I'll tell you like, honestly, like there is one section after the gorge before you get down to the river, that section of the trail is probably the most gnarly part of the trail. But the rest of it, to, to be quite honest, it's really not that technical. You just ride a little slower and don't yeah. just let off the brakes and hang on and see what happens. You just ride a little bit smarter and still have a ton of fun and use your human suspension. Yeah. I so feel like, have... Go ahead. I feel like the chameleon with the 27.5 plus aired down right, the Cush yeah. core, 140 millimeter fork. And I don't know about a, other hardtails, but I'm sure you can do the same thing with them. Like, I feel like I'll still have fun. Oh, I, I love it. walking probably through some of that. Like there's some certain sections of that, that spot that I was talking about that are just like really freaking chunky. But I also know that if you have the skill set, man, and that's yes. the part that makes it fun. Yeah. Like if you have the skill set, you can do it. And that's the part where you're like, that's the part to me that's really fun about a hardtail is it's, it's just like what I was talking about. What I love about like, that about mountain biking my favorite part is that like super like you shouldn't be able to ride this yeah so to be able to go through that and if i do it slower it doesn't matter if i just clean it i will be amped you know what i mean you got so, this you yeah, got this yeah the it, only limitation on a hardtail is the rider skill and it's easier we've all ridden that huge enduro bike that just like erases the trail where you don't even have to think and it'll just plow over everything, just monster truck. And you're like, I'm the man. I just rode that faster than ever. And it wasn't even hard. And then you realize, uh, then again, that bike did almost all of the work for me. You can't take that mentality with, with the hard. That's, that's the thing that, that, you know, that I kind of don't like about 29ers. And I kind of don't like about the way that like, the bikes are getting better. That's the part that I don't like is that it is actually making your trails easier. It yeah. is. And part of why I ride mountain bikes is to be challenged. Yeah. I actually enjoy not being able to clean sections. Yeah. Because the more sections that I can't clean, the more that I want to go back and just give it to it. Yeah. You know? And so like when, when you're, I feel like, you know, like what happens at 29, like, do we then go to like 32 or something like that? And we just keep making these trails like more right. aim. So the trails that we like that step up or that little climbing yeah. section or that little rocky chunky section that like you got this new bike and now you're just plowing through it and you're happy about that. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like we're doing this to be challenged, <laughs> you know, like at least I am. I mean, I'm not just doing this just to like be able to like like hang my hat up when I clean that section like yeah. that's the part that I really enjoy about having my new hardtail I'm with you and I share that and there's I love a simple bicycle and hardtails are so simple you've got a shifter a dropper brakes and a front fork and they're just there's something to that simplicity that just brings you back to what made you at least what made me fell in love with riding in the first place and it's just having fun and not worrying about my c2 bangle or am i too 
PSI too strong over there? Or did this derailleur uh, weigh 200 grams more than something if I could be on the other one? I forget about all that. And I just have fun. That's what it's about. So um, if you were getting a new hardtail, which ones would you look at? Ooh, good question. Um, for my riding style, and if you're going to be doing aggressive stuff with steep drops or steep climbs and stuff, um, I'd get something with a short chain stay and a steep head angle. There's so many awesome ones, especially out of the UK right now. UK is killing it with aggressive hardtails. But there's some great ones. Um, I'm getting a new one, and I'll be building it up and sharing that on my channel soon. Um, I'm an ambassador for a great company, but uh, so I won't mention that company. But other great bikes like the Commonsol Meta HTAM, awesome. 65-degree head angle, 430 mil chainstay. Not super short, but it's it'll be fine for most people. Uh, 27.5 wheels. It's something like 1800 bucks. Awesome, awesome value. Um, I do like the Chameleon, but I feel like the head angles. The head angle is perfect for 90% of the riders. But if you want to ride it aggressively like Downeyville, like you said, bumping it up to a 140 fork makes a big difference. And I'm bummed that Santa Cruz is using the stupid integrated headsets where the bearings sit in the frame. There's no inner bearing cup. Mm -hmm. It's just bearings sitting on aluminum. A, because that wears out the aluminum frame and eventually those are going to ovalize in your frames toast. And B, you can't run an angle set and you can't change the head angle. So that I was pretty sad about that. I, I get why they do it. But uh, why do you think they do it? When you slacken out a bike, it puts ridiculous stress on the head angle. Uh, the head they're trying to keep people from actually like making frame failures. I believe so. Yeah, that makes sense. It's cheaper. It's lighter. Uh, they just mach mach they're machining the frame anyway. They can just machine the cups in and just drop the bearings in quicker to set up all that stuff. So I get that, but uh, I do love being able to yeah. off topic. Yeah. Why don't, why don't headsets like screw in? You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't understand that. I don't understand why you did like, why that's not screw like, like doesn't have threads on it and you screw it in. So it's nice and tight. Like, like I, I don't like understand. The bottom bracket. Yeah. Like, why is that? Why are, why are they like press fit in there? Like if they, screwed in, if they screwed in, like the headset could have the bearings in the headset, it could screw in and then you wouldn't need like some tool, like whenever you're, it's like your bearings or whatever, like just buy another headset and just, I mean, obviously like a Chris King's like super expensive, but like yeah. in my head, I'm like, oh, you could just like get another headset and just screw it in and now it's good to go again. And, and that's that, like make our lives a little simpler. That's an interesting yeah. idea. Yeah, because pressing in those headset cups is always a pain. And I've got the headset press, right? it's like 60 bucks. Then you need the special forks to knock them out. And then you have some weird headset that doesn't work with them. And yeah, it's it's a pain. Well, and then like like sometimes they'll they'll kind of like come out a little bit, you know, so they'll they they could creep out. Like mm -hmm. you, you could really build a headset that screws in that you like it's 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 locked in there, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I just came up with that shit. So um, I'm going to copyright that and trademark it as we Do speak. It. <laughs> Do it. I will say it's a little different than a bottom bracket because the stress is up and down and less left and right. So the cones of the bearings are having a vertical load on them, but I, I don't see why it couldn't be done. Just the cups themselves could thread in. Yeah. Like, why not? Yeah. You know? Not a bad idea. I like it.
There you go. Boom. Right here on the biker channel. That's right. So what, what, uh, what, what kind of ideas do you have for like hardtail party videos? So you talked about having some, like, um, some users send in their stuff. That sounds really fun actually. Cause nobody else is doing that. What, yeah. are, what other kind of things are you, are you thinking you're going to showcase on the channel? Yeah, I've got a whole list of sticky notes on the wall right here. I'm looking at, we're going to, I'll announce it. I know some people will like, like to hold their like upcoming videos really close. I don't want to make you, um, no, I'll share some stuff here. Cool. We're going to play the world's biggest game of bike and we're going to let, we're going to have a challenge like bunny hop up a curb. It's going to be aimed at intermediate riders. And the goal isn't to just do a backflip that no one else can do. And everybody's knocked out, but it's to challenge each other. So we'll have a presenter say, Hey, Today's challenge is to bunny hop up a curb. This is what it looks like. If you do it this way, it doesn't count. If you do it this way, it does. You got a whole week to practice and film yourself doing it. And then 25 different people submit their videos. And then we just keep getting a little bit harder, a little bit harder and whittle it down. It's a virtual game of bike. So I'm stoked about that. Idea. So are you going to talk about like the mechanics of what they're doing or like maybe like critique you like, oh, well, this guy did this and that's why he did that or like kind of oh. like... Uh probably not the first round but we have I, I plan on keeping that going over and over and over so but it'll be like a kind of a skills clinic as well or just like just fun it'll just be fun it'll that's a great question and what i'm going to do is have guest presenters present <laughs> the topic for the week so a youtube channel you might know and maybe they have a video on how to do that and so it's an opportunity for the presenter to say, hey, this is our challenge. If you want to learn how to do it, go watch my video that describes it. Here's the challenge. And so then I let the presenters do that if they want. And if they don't have a video on that, then so be it. I'm not going to critique people. I don't want people to be worried that they'll submit something and everyone's going to be like, oh, man, rider number three sucks. It's We're having a party. We're a community. We're trying to encourage each other to just have fun and get out there and, and be more nimble and do more stuff on the bike and just have fun and session stuff. So that's one idea. Uh, we want to do a series called hard tails on hard trails where we go ride really hard stuff on the hard tails to prove that the limiting factor is not your bike. It's your skills. And so let's all get a little bit better. And I don't want people to say, Oh, I don't have a full suspension. I can't ride that trail. You can. So yeah, we got a whole bunch of ideas, stuff like that. I'd love to do bike checks where people film their bike and talk about why they built it that way and share their love of their hardtail bike on the channel. I just want it to be a community where people who are totally pumped up on hardtails, whether it's a rigid that you bike pack on or it's your single speed or you're racing an enduro on your hardtail. It's the place where people go to geek out together on hardtail stuff. And I need the community to submit stuff and, and, feature themselves on that i'm really excited for that whole aspect of it i'm really curious and maybe maybe just dive into the weeds like i'm really curious how you're gonna how you're gonna do that like how Me you're gonna too. get like like the video from everybody and we don't need to go into that but that's just like i'm just saying it out loud like i'm like how is he gonna like yeah there are some big challenges people? plus you have to be able to like watch all this these submissions and as your channel like at, when it's small, it's going to be easy because you're going to get like three submissions. Sure. But once you get like 50 submissions or a hundred submissions, it's like, how are you going to choose that? How are you going to have the ability technology wise to receive that? Yeah. 
but then also there are challenges. Like the, the, I mean, you what you're basically doing is like you're like, oh, a can of worms. No, I want a <laughs> six pack of worms. Give me a six pack of worms. You're right. There are so many ways this could crash and burn. I <laughs> love the idea. I haven't done it yet. I have solutions for that. But think of something like uh, Friday Fails on Pink Bike, mm -hmm. where people just submit a clip of them or their buddies crashing, and they put it together as a compilation. And yeah. so I'm going to have to put stuff together like it can't be a minute long because, A, I don't have time to watch 30 people's five-minute videos. B, um, I need it to be able to be, you know, I need to be able to download it. I need to be able to use it. I can't guarantee that just because you send me something, you're going to be featured in the channel. So there's, there are all these things behind the scene that are going to make it clunky, but I want to make it work because. Oh God, the YouTuber in me just came out. I'm like, so how do you deal with frame rate? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, wait there, a minute. Are, there are a million issues. You have to film at 24 frames or you have to film at 30 frames or like, oh, yeah. oh, oh my God, my mind just exploded. So I'm production value is going to be low, but the stoke will be high. I think the, the bottom line of what you're saying, dude, is the community. And I think that's, you know, that's basically what I've built my channel on is the community. And I think that's the beauty of YouTube. The thing that I, I like today, just, um, I, I end up clicking on some guy's video that I think he has like 40 subs or maybe 50. I don't know. Uh -huh. And, and, uh, I clicked on his video and I was like, dude, this guy, this is cool, man. And, and I thought to myself, you know, two years ago when like you and Tess and me and PKXE and, you know, the big channels and like there, two years ago, there was about 10 to 15 of us. Yep. And now there's like hundreds of people doing videos yeah. and there's people that are going to have, they're going to be the biggest channel in, in Timbuktu, Nebraska, you know? And I think that's just so cool, but it's all about the community. That's what it really comes down to is like, you're building a community you now, whether your community spans your, like your local area or your state or, the nation because you can travel or like BKXE the world. Yeah. Like this is the power of what we have is this community. It's priceless. Totally. You know, like we have 102 people watching us right now. Two years ago when I started, man, I had like, when I had like 30 subscribers, I was on top of the world. I would yeah. have never imagined that. I mean, I probably imagined it, but <laughs> it felt like a dream at that point, like sure. shit that I could get online and just like, Here's a hundred people just watching me drink beer and, and talk to my buddy about riding hardtails. That's yeah. Definitely. I'm with you, man. All my friends I've met online, like we all have such diverse interests and the chance that your neighbor next door has the exact same interests are pretty small. And sadly we don't talk to our neighbors very much anymore. And we've all gone to this virtual uh spot and and that's okay in some ways and so i want this to be a virtual club for people who love hardtails and when we go on tour and we travel around and we're coming to your state i want to let you know where i'm riding and i want 20 hardtails to show up and we just go have a party on the trail and that's what it's all about it's not about me becoming this internet personality that just uh has this huge following it's the hardtail is the is the main character not steve so, so what happens when Steve gets new, new, um, full suspension bike that he wants to talk to? Dude, about? that is the hardest part because I'm getting a new bike this month and I can't, 
I can't put it anywhere because it doesn't fit on Dusty Betty. It doesn't fit on the more we explore and it doesn't fit on hardtail party. So I'm going to have to start a full suspension party, I guess. and just run <laughs> Me channels. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think the hardtail partiers would forgive me if I made a video of it on my hardtail party channel. I don't know. And I want to keep it focused. And once your channel like starts going a million different directions, it's hard to rein in. Yeah. So here we are. We're wrapping up two hours, man. What, first of all, if you guys haven't like hit the thumbs up button, let's see where the hell we are right now. We're at 74 thumbs up and there's 99 people get the thumbs up over that because thumbs up make me happy. If you are a lurker, on this channel and you haven't hit subscribe, you're in the wrong as well. Please do that. That would make me even more happy because since I started doing just mostly biker bar, the sub count doesn't grow because um, I don't know. <laughs> I guess people like me getting drunk and wiping out on trails better than <laughs> like talking about bikes with my buddies, but I'm having a good time. So hit the subscribe button if you're just thinking about it. I, I, I really would appreciate that. Talk to me about where you want to see this channel in a year. Oh man. Um, I want to see people stop apologizing for their bike and limiting themselves from having fun because they don't have carbon handlebars or they don't have 170 mil travel or their bikes only a 26 er and not a 29 er I want people to, to, I want to be able to come to a state and say, Hey, I'm going to be in Texas next month. Let's, let's go ride some hard trails on hardtails and, and have some fun with it. And, that's where I want it to be. I want it to be the community that when someone loves hardtails, I, I kind of want to reestablish hardtails as a legitimate option as your bike. And that's okay. And so I'd, I'd love to see more people geeking out about it and posting bike checks. And I'd love to see companies bringing hardtails to demo events and people actually asking for them and requesting them and not feeling like you're somehow compromising your mountain biking experience because you ride a hardtail. You're just going to have a different experience than if you had a full suspension and one's not better or worse than the other. It's just a different experience. So yeah, that's where it's at. I always say, man, just like if you got on your bike and you had a good time, you're doing it right. If you rode one mile and you had a good time, you're doing it right. If you did 30 miles and you had a good time, you're doing it right. If you walked up every climb, but just descended that one descent you're doing it right like whatever puts a grin on your face you're doing it right you, you know like that's that's it so totally agree it's a party not a competition I, like when i ride it's to have fun with people not to put other people down or be put down it's it's a fun experience and that's what hardtail party is all about so do you have a sign off yet have you figured out a sign off oh i have you seen anchor man yeah, I have. And, uh, Brick's talking about his pants party. And I think the best <laughs> thing I can talk about so far is there's a party in the mountains and you're invited. Oh, there you go. <laughs> well, thanks, everybody, for coming by, man. I really appreciate it. Please, please know that all of you guys that sent the super chats, I'm super stoked about that. Please subscribe. Please subscribe. I can't even speak English anymore. Please subscribe and support the channel. I appreciate that. If you have a chance, to go by my Instagram or my Facebook at at biker B one, or if you go to Facebook slash biker B one, B one K E R B one, same thing with Instagram, stop by there, follow it. 
or like it or subscribe to it, whatever they call it in that space, that would be great. I really, really enjoy seeing you guys there. There's a lot of extra content over on Instagram and Facebook. If you're going to do one, just do one. If you do both, you're going to get the same thing twice. So I'm telling you, just do one. Um, I also want again, once again, want to mention to everybody that Patreon is definitely a, a good thing for me. Hopefully it'll be a good thing for you. I'm going to start a new thing where whenever I finish these interviews on biker bar, we do a couple extra special questions and those go to Patreon. So, and then Patreon only. So if you want to get in on that party, you want to, you want to find out about what's going on over there, stop by patreon.biker.com and Hey, maybe have a good time. If you don't want to do that, it doesn't matter. Keep watching the videos, keep showing up every week or however the hell you want to go about it. And I'll be stoked. I appreciate it. I'm digging, digging all the support lately, guys. Remember one thing, it only takes a bike to be a biker. So get out and be one. <laughs>